0: Hey buddy!
1: Hey everybody!
0: Welcome to Fox Park. It's me, Seth, and Daddy.
1: It's me, Seth and Daddy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Seth Erie <laughs> joining us on the show. Seth, say hello. Hello. How are you doing, buddy? Good. How's life with Seth Erie?
0: Um, um, good.
1: It's good? Yeah. Yeah, what did we do yesterday?
0: Oh, we are Tennessee.
1: We're in Tennessee. Yep, so we moved down from Ohio to Tennessee. We're officially in Tennessee, and I'll then what did we do? Swim. Yeah, we went to a water park yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. It's very exciting. Ooh. Seth, how do you like your new house?
0: I'm awesome.
1: It's awesome. Anything you want to say? He's got a nice high and tight haircut too. Oh he's yeah, you got slick. a sweet haircut.
0: I love uh, ticklish.
1: You love ticklish? Yeah. Yes. He's tickling me. Is the idea. Um, Seth, is there anything <laughs> you want to let the Vox listeners know? Yeah. What do you want to tell them?
0: Say, Vox dinner.
1: The Vox dinners? Yes. We want to have every all, oh. all the Vox listeners over for a dinner, huh? Yeah. How fun would that be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'd have to get a we'd have to get something large to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there anything else you want to say?
0: Um. Yeah. Okay. Um. Tim Stafford, I love you.
1: Tim Stafford, I love you. Oh. All right. I love and you, Sethi.
0: You came and missed it, figure you, could say it's semi.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. It's Eddie Mike. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox podcast. And there are a few pieces of feedback that we receive very frequently. And one of them is more Seth. The more Seth, the better.
2: This is true.
1: So uh, he was just hanging around and we thought, let's just grab the boy. We uh, The Eries have been busy. We uh, Our oldest has graduated high school. And hey, then yo. we move the fam down to Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville. Yep. And then we're heading back uh, up to Ohio tomorrow for uh, our oldest grad party. Going back Going home. Going back home. Yeah. It's, it's quite the, quite the thing. So we are tired, Timothy. Uh, if it's yeah. sounding a little echoey, we're still working on, we're working on, you know, unpacking and unloading. New locales. Yes, exactly right. But man, we got a lot to do today. Tim, like the the podcast waits for no one. That's right. It just keeps <laughs> Mondays no it's what. coming no matter what. So anyway, Vox family, uh, hello, welcome. Uh, I've got uh, we've got some business to attend to, some thank yous to give out, a couple of emails to read, and then diving back into the wonderful world of the divine council and the Elohim. Hey, so Timothy. We have a 300th episode. Could you remind everybody what it is that you're asking them to do? All right.
2: So the 300th episode we're going to be talking about, we mentioned this briefly last week, but we'll be talking about kind of the future of the church, both in modes of hope that you might have for the church or lament that you have over, uh, we've talked a lot about this last year in particular, if not the last four being very revelatory, Mm -hmm. uh, Years for the church much has come to light much has been revealed Um, so we have some fun guests who uh, are going to pop in and um, share the conversation hopefully and uh, but we really want to hear from all of you guys in the community and have your voices on there and i've received some already thank you for those and uh, there's two ways to get that to us one of them is you can just record On your phone, a voice memo, like 30 seconds or less talking about either your hope for the church in the future or your lament uh, or grieving with where the church has been and possibly is going. Uh, We'd also like a bunch of one word answers too that we can kind of throw together. So if you've got just one word of hope or lament, that'd be great. Also, so you can send that to me at tim at voxpodcast.com or you can call this number 530-492-0382
1: yes indeed that number (laughs) (laughs)
2: 530-492-0382
1: that one right there. yes perfect so so we're excited for that um and uh we'll have some unveilings hopefully around that's next week is that next episode this is 299 damn you guys better get calling let's go let's go yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, give us your voice. Pause it right now and call right now. <laughs> if hit pause, if, this is the pause if marker. If you love Seth, call him at this number.
2: 530-492-0382. Or again, if it's easier, just to uh record the message on your phone. One word of uh, hope or lament, just single words if you have those or something under 30 seconds. Record it on your phone and send it to Tim at Voxpodcast.com.
1: Um so yeah, that's big. And then um hopefully we'll have some new website uh name logo stuff uh happening right around yep. this time. Yep. And um and then I, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people who uh, to thank who came on our, um, our little support team. So yes, it is. uh, We want to always keep it free and we're grateful for that. And so thank you for um, the listener support. You guys are absolutely amazing. And I want to specifically thank Brenda uh, who is our amazing web designer, but she, she wasn't one of the names on the list, but she's evidently at the top of my mind because she's helping us with the website and rebrand. But I want to thank specifically. So we're
2: just going to thank Brenda right off the bat. Just,
1: just <laughs> thank you, Brenda. Um, but, but we've got Philip and Jeff and uh, Lee, I think it is L I. Uh, Monica, Andrew, Scott, Sandy, Nicole, Bridget, and Christina um thank you so freaking much for coming on the patreon team thank you for your support thanks to all of you uh who are a part of this community again it is such an honor to do this and we're so grateful that you value the work it really is a gift to us and an encouragement to us and so again we're really really appreciative um if you are uh, one of those people, and you're able to help support and want to, you can go to patreon.com and type in Vox Podcast with Mike Erie or go to voxpodcast.com. And there are a couple of links waiting for you there. So many thanks. Uh, man, it is such an honor to be able to do this every week just to say thank you to people. All right. Uh, I have, I don't know what the equivalent of Mike's troubled times would be. Tim, Tim, you've kind of cornered the market on troubled times. Um, I, I just had, it was- Mike's miserable moment. <laughs> just to try to get the alliteration going. Perfect. You know, uh, one of the things that um, hit me this week uh, is I, I was reading about uh, this Tulsa race massacre. And I am in my, um, I'm going on several decades of age now. And, uh, I had never been familiar at all with what had happened and what the, what responses were from clergy. And, um, I mean, I just wasn't familiar with that historical event even remotely. And I cannot believe it. Um. Uh, it is. Uh, there is so much happening in the world regarding critical race theory, and whether or not it's good or it's bad or a threat to the gospel or a help, um, and 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 then something like this, and and you know maybe it's my own ignorance, but I, I kind of suspect it's it could be also the system that never talked about these sorts of things um because we were you know we were told the grand story of america was one of righteous expansion and justified violence you know um and this certainly doesn't fit that and so i was just i don't know i just was like wow i can't i mean this this is this is part of our legacy that and we never talk about stuff like this um and so I, i i guess i was coming away like super grateful for all the critical race stuff that, that, that is, that is surfacing culturally events like this that I would never have heard of otherwise. And, you know, they just provoke great, uh, grieving and lament and anger in some cases. Um, and and, and then I'm sorry, someone's mowing their yard now. Um, and then, uh, (laughs) I was reading about the Southern Baptist Convention, because it's a thing here. And um and Albert Moeller is president of one of the seminaries, I think, or I don't know how the whole thing works, but um <laughs> they've identified CRT as like a, a threat to the gospel and it's like all guns totally. against this thing. And and I don't know enough, you know, I, I have to be honest. I don't I haven't read a critical race theorists um so i don't you know i i don't know uh but but on the face of the conversation um i I just i want to just kind of have a couple of remarks because not knowing has never stopped me from talking and so i i want to just throw a couple of things out uh because i'm just sitting there and i'm like the the southern baptist convention is falling apart their views on women Uh, the sexual abuse scandals that are rocking them at at the top of their leadership, huh? Yoga, yoga. Yes. Yoga dude. Totally. And, and, and so, you know, the, the whole culture is having this racial reckoning and here we are identifying, um, one of the tools used to talk about power imbalance, Um, that's, that's the major thing we got to deal with. And it just, it seems so, so crazy to me. Um, but just a couple of thoughts. The first thought, Timothy, and this is a Mike's, what was it? Morning moment. Mike's Monstrous moment. That works too. I think I said Mike's miserable moment.
2: Yes. Mike's moment of misery. (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, this whole language of some people in power about, such and such being a threat to the gospel. Um, I am so over that bullshit. It, that is manipulative. Ooh. It's not true. The gospel literally is the good news of the victory of Jesus. There's nothing yeah. threatening the victory of Jesus. Now, certainly there are cultural factors that affect the uh, a receptivity to that message, certainly. And those are worthy of having conversations, but this ridiculous, I mean, in my lifetime, man, it has been so many different. Postmodernism was a threat to the gospel. The emerging church was a threat to the gospel, right? I mean, I I don't know. The LGBTQ community was a threat to the gospel. Amy Grant was a threat to the gospel. I mean, it's just, and, and you're like, what, what kind of skinny little pathetic God is threatened by conversations that have to do with repentance and lament and racial disparities and power and structural injustice. And again, maybe they're right. Maybe CRT isn't the healthiest way to look at this. Okay. But that's still not a threat to the gospel. And of all the things to be talking about right now, what, what, what hurts us? What, what is the cost of simply leading with lament repentance and honesty and confession of sin what is the problem i mean there are so many of us you and i at the top of the list who obsess over the church over theology and over jesus who are just waiting for some freaking bit of leadership somewhere with guts enough to simply say oh this is awful and oh we're willing to listen and we're not going to just sit and critique before we sit and listen and, yeah. and if there's repentance that's called for, repentance will be given. And if repentance looks like reparations, if repentance looks like symbolic gestures to address injustice, we'll do them. Because what are we trying to protect? Yeah. Right. The gospel is not under threat. It is the victory of Jesus that is unstoppable. There's no threatening this thing. In fact, the fiercer the culture becomes against it, the more it flourishes that's just that is just true historically so what are we protecting in all of this i just don't understand so i had a mike's miserable moment when i'm like really really we were firebombing people um and we called them race riots and i'm just hearing about this and part of it's my own ignorance for sure i'm contributing factor but you you're just like, we're afraid of telling these truths, really mm-hmm. how how does that hurt us? as Christians, I just don't get it. and so here we are, the most vociferously opposed to any of the conversations culture wants to have around sexual abuse, yeah. around a race, around gun control, around power politics I mean. I just don't get it, and and so many, so so many, um, and again, it feels like we keep coming back to this. But so many are have simply lost heart. We've given up. We've just said, "There's no." The church looks nothing like Jesus of Nazareth, and um, and so I don't know. I just need to get that off my chest because I, I, I I'm so tired of the threat to the gospel thing. Um. You can no more threaten the gospel than you can gravity. You know what I mean? I mean, insult gravity, mock gravity, make fun of it, jump off bridges thinking that it won't catch you. I mean, whatever. It's, you know, as Thanos said, you can imagine Jesus (laughs) saying it, you know, on the cross, I am inevitable. But no, the kingdom, I mean, and Jesus, so many of Jesus' parables were about this. It's so seemingly small and insignificant, but it's going to end up like a bush that covers an entire field. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like you're thrown out to catch common fish. You're thrown out a net to catch common fish. And all of a sudden, there's a pearl buried in there. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea this was sitting right here. So I'm just tired. Uh, that's how Hannah would say it. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. You know? So no more threats to the gospel. I'm just, and, and, I, and I guess because we see the, 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 the world in um, culture war terms, um, I mean, how can we not think things are under siege? You know? Because it cause it, goes, totally. it goes back to the way we framed the whole thing. Yep. So, to me, Jesus saw the world, like we looked at that parable of the wheat and the weeds. That is how we saw the world, Yeah, you know? That to me is totally um, significant in terms of how it is that Jesus invites us to live in a world where there is great evil and great good. And yeah. Gamas is so challenging because he keeps, he keeps getting me off of any imperializing. You know what I mean? I like, because um, I, I, I do, I do think the the scriptures invite us into good deeds. So when they see that there the are works, they will give praise to God the Father. I th- so I think there's some sort of place for this. But Gombus has really called a lot of that into question, like give up trying to fix the church. And I'm like, is that true? Um I don't know. I see part of it being healthy. And I see part of it as being right. And then I'm like, yeah, but Paul didn't just back away from Peter. Right. You know? And when when yep. the when the, the Judaizers came in and said, Hey Gentiles, you gotta be circumcised to follow Jesus, there was a bit of a dust up there. You know <laughs> what I mean?
2: I have, yeah, I would imagine so.
1: <laughs> so I don't know.
2: It's a mess. It's a mess.
1: And then you sent us this Marco Polo last night, or two nights ago, um, just about an organization you're involved with that just it just, sits, it just sits there, and it's like, it's all of a mess. And so I, I really am so torn between just chucking it all and just saying, okay, I'm done with social media forever. I'm done with mm-hmm. podcasting. I'm just done having any platform whatsoever, and I'm literally, I'm going to write nine houses down on my fridge right a map with nine houses and my my whole thing is to serve those the people in those nine houses and that's it yeah yeah you know I, and, and again it's not an either or but it's it just feels so ridiculous right now
2: well it's not an either and this is this is all i think about right now and that's why i left a long mark of because it's after a a meeting and then um, a continued conversation with a friend about ministry and trying to, f- I the it's everything you just said is so messy, and the the imbalance with the people in power, uh, within the church and the and the need to hold status and power and anything that threatens that, uh, for a God who pushed meekness and weakness and humility and all that stuff the whole the whole that's why this last couple of weeks of conversations for me have been the pushback has been difficult for me because i i don't know if i'm not articulating myself well which is more than possible <laughs> i can get a little rambly false uh, but i just think the uh the model itself is is skewed and because of that all of this imbalance like trying to balance this imbalance I don't think is possible because the scale is off yeah
1: yeah 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 for sure and I want to
2: find like so I'm just like we're, we're sitting here like I Sunday mornings I don't know what they should look like anymore based on a lot of stuff that we've been talking about new creation and this kind of stuff I'm not sure what how those mornings should be structured and so we're trying to figure that out here like do we what do we do do we just have breakfast together do we do it in a park and invite the entire community Is that how we tithe is by offering food on Sunday mornings? Um, Yeah. But as far as service things go, there are organizations and there are some churches that are doing that well, and there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Right. So we find the the places in town that are doing it right, and we come alongside and say, here's extra hands. Yeah. Yep. But I've been so angry and fighting this fight, and I don't know that I'm fight. I don't know that it's... We talked about this with uh, Driscoll, right? Like, I don't see the point in arguing if he's not interested in the conversation. Sure. Like, you can't win an argument with someone who's unwilling to engage in the conversation. No. Nah. So, dude, just... I know there's the, also the pushback. You can't keep um, starting a new thing. That's all we do as Christians is say, Yeah. Let's nail seven letters on the wall or whatever and say, We're starting something new. No, we're starting something
1: Now we're starting something new. Ah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's that's why... <laughs> This, um, having this part of life together, uh, with this whole community of people is so rewarding to me because I don't feel alone in this. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat and I feel like, you know, we're being gently corrected. We're being encouraged. We're being supported. Um, uh, this is. I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a great gift because you and I both share a deep angst. Like g- giving what? up on it is not an option. I, no. I and I wish it were. It would just be easier um to just say, "Well, you know, I don't know what God's going to do, but as for me and my house, we are just going to like love our neighbors." And hallelujah, and that's part <laughs> of it. Um yeah. And maybe Gumbus is right. Maybe the part of me that keeps wanting to be in the church as a leader, teacher, person—maybe that's the part that needs to die. You know, maybe that's the problem right there. I don't know. So, <laughs> damn that Gumbus! I've got some emails. Speaking of that, before we Speaking of Gombas. before we do, yeah yeah sweet Gumbus. Uh, this young lady says, I love your podcast. Um, thank you. Uh, yes, this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount has given me uh, enough uh, to keep me thinking, repenting, and changing for the rest of my life. Yes, Jesus is great like that. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, your honesty and vulnerability, both Mike and Tim, is so refreshing. Introducing me to Gombus has been revolutionary. Amen. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. My only disappointment has been how much I miss Bonnie. I miss the input of a woman and the perspective that she brought. Is there any thought of bringing a woman's voice back into the podcast on the regular? And I have to say, uh, speaking for both Tim and I, yes. Um, we This is the the transition from Bonnie um, and the stuff we've been doing the last year in terms of like Sermon on the Mount and this series and this stuff, we think is is good stuff but that's not the the dream of the the final shape of the podcast and so um we recognize that two dudes um two white dudes uh isn't uh, a broad enough perspective and so i don't know what that will look like um we don't want to rush into something and just try to force something so we're just sort of waiting for conversation partners Um, but certainly we recognize that too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, the church, like I, I just am committed to learning from my sisters. Um, the church I'm a part of, um, has a female elder pastor teacher. It's awesome. So I'm just all in for that. But, um, Bonnie's pretty unique. And that that voice, you know, you don't just fill that sucker um, out of nowhere. So we're 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 not going to rush, but our hope certainly is that we find another conversation partner like her. So because yeah. you know she's awesome. Uh, so great question. Thank you for sharing that with us, and we totally uh, agree. Um, this is a this is a really good one. Given that this is uh, we just have Memorial Day weekend. Um, it's from a young lady who says, um, thoughts on whether Memorial Day, 4th of July, Veterans Day are appropriate to focus on in the church. I struggle with the glorification of quote the empire in church. That's a great question. And uh, oh, Tim is shaking his head. I think we're I don't want to touch that one. Why not?
2: <laughs> I will. Oh, go for it! I mean, there's every holiday I struggle with being yeah. celebrated in church, each for their own reasons. Ooh,
1: nice. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so, so first of all, I, there was I was a senior pastor of a church, and we took the American flag out, and um, it, it was it was a moderately big deal because. Um, as we are now more aware than ever, um, people have confused or fused the flag yeah. and the cross in ways that are deeply corrupted and disturbing and idolatrous. And, um, and so I would not only share your concerns, but would resist any focus on any of those things on those days. I'm, I, am, I am all for being pro-America and being grateful for what we have. I just find that the people who are pro-America are not willing to uh, admit to her faults um, and to live with patriotism in a much lesser space than uh, allegiance to Jesus and his transnational, transethnic community. And so um, whatever whatever I can do to help resist um, our temptation to fuse those things, absolutely. Do I honor veterans? Yep. My stepdad was a vet. My dad was in the military. Um, I am incredibly grateful for the people who have served, um, absolutely. And whether or not a flag gets placed into a church service has nothing to do with my respect and honor for people who have sacrificed and given. It simply has to do with what a church is and what a nation state is. And as we've talked about at nauseum, those are two very different things. And um, there would never be in any early church service a celebration of any of the pagan holidays or any of the Roman civil holidays. The, the, you would just... Back then, you would never think to even confuse them. So um, uh, I am. I am resistant and in some degrees highly to patriotic displays <laughs> fused with Christian worship or Christian message I just think that is that is tragically misguided so and yeah. and the people who are angry about that um, uh, typically uh, aren't big fans of the Sermon on the Mount and so I'm just fine with those kind of people being angry you know what I mean? Like like you cannot immerse yourself in the Sermon on the Mount and come away thinking, oh, I need to love my country more. Um, nope, <laughs> it is love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And um, you know, all of this stuff that requires the relinquishing of rights, not the claiming of them. And so um, I want the church to look cross-shaped and a cross-shaped church would never um highlight one um nation state over others um all right. so that's just my take on it anything you want to add to that timothy i mean uh as i said i've been a,
2: my favorite holiday of all is halloween and that's the one that the church refuses to um celebrate so dude had it's me, called it's called the fall festival since i was a child it's called the fall festival yeah. My parents tried one year to make me go to that in the gymnasium and do the, the <laughs> carnival games, and I was like, "Look, I'm a pretty good kid, but if you take Halloween away, nice. we're gonna have issues." Yeah, all that stuff's super confusing. And it's the same thing with, uh, yeah, I mean, I 15 years ago or so with like Mother's Day, sitting with someone who had just lost their mother, and then another woman who was unable to have children, and it kind of reframed the way that we celebrate. I don't know anything that makes people feel ostracized in church seems, yeah, off. Yeah, and it. I, but I mean, all that stuff like you're like not a cross shaped church, not like a stars and stripe shaped church. <laughs> when we're in an era still where they're printing Bibles with the Constitution and the flag. Well, they backed
1: in, off. Uh, Zondervan backed off, evidently good for them. Well, but they said yes to begin with. So not good for them. If the only reason they're saying they're not they're saying no is because public pressure and not because they don't see the problem with it, then someone else just eager to make a buck will pick it up. So, yeah. You know, it, it's um I mean, we could spend yeah, we could spend loads of episodes talking about this, but I'm kind of with you on the Mother's Day Father's Day thing. Like I don't even, it's hardly even a day of celebration anymore because of all of the disclaimers and all of the sensitivities. Like, mothers, day, you've got people who've lost their moms, who are distant from their moms, who uh, their moms uh, are no longer with us, but or, or were abused by their moms, or they want to be a mom but can't, or, I mean, it's like, whoa you and and just to blithely sort of accept whatever culture says we're celebrating that weekend to say, "Oh, we're celebrating that the only exception I make um because of uh uh past idolatries is m l. k day um I think that's uh i don't know i I think that's one we we talk about and one we should celebrate Um yeah, and then obviously. Christmas is kind of our jam. Not not in the way that it comes to us, but you know, the incarnation stuff. Um I've always been the uh
2: what's the uh, uh what do they call it? people that only go
1: on Christmas and Easter? Christers.
2: I've always been the opposite of that. I avoid
1: church on both Christmas and Easter. You're not a very healthy person, are you? You Halloween loving <laughs> ghoulish Yep. Um that's me. Okay. Um one other uh one other uh, email, have we answered two? I don't remember. We answered the yes, yes, 4th we of did. July, which yeah. yeah. And, and, um, a co yes. yes, 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 yes. Hey Mike and Tim, this is number three. I wanted to quickly share a quote from a pastor that I saw on Instagram that I think perfectly encapsulates so much of what we have been talking about lately. The pastor was quoted as saying, making disciples is how we start to affect cultural trends. Making disciples is how we start to affect cultural trends. This young man says, is it just me or does it seem like he's entirely missing the obvious point that the making disciples of Jesus isn't simply a means to an end in the culture wars the church has weighed in America? (laughs) So true. It waged excuse me he says uh culture certainly will be influenced by jesus followers who are spreading new creation kingdom dynamics by living out the sermon on the mount imperatives as they're empowered to do so by the spirit yes dude he's preaching right now to me however yeah. the quote seems to suggest the job of christians is to use discipleship as a strategy of winning an old creation dynamics battle they spirit they're clearly losing man that is such a great point I may be yeah, missing he something. His yes, you've answered yourself. <laughs> the answer is right in front of your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And he gave us permission to, to read this. So, um the premise is off from the start. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If if the goal in making disciples is to affect cultural trends, uh, then the, the kinds of disciples you'll be making our um, yep. culture warriors. Um, if the goal of your discipleship is is the imitation and transformation of people into Jesus through um, the gradual progressing into new creation dynamics, then yes. And could culture be affected? Yes. but is that the goal or even the focus? No, no. It's kind of like
2: salt and light, Tim. You know, the, it's just like I was saying about the church stuff earlier. The like the conversation is skewed. Yes, from the very outset. It's like that's exactly, yeah, from the outset. If this is the mode, if this is the MO of, yeah. then it's facing in the wrong direction. Then that's not just a matter of like you you get in and infe- affect the church from the inside. If it's, yep, I just don't know. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's good. Your hair kind of looks like Barry Gibb today. Yeah, I'm about to chop Dude, it all no, off. seriously, seriously. What I, what I want you guys to do is right now to pull up a Google image search of Barry Gibb. Circa 1979. <laughs> 19- Talking it up. On the Barry Gibb talk show. Yes, and there's, man, I mean, you got that going today. With a Ramones <laughs> t-shirt and a love of Halloween um, yep. going on in his heart all right ladies and gentlemen as always thank you for for feedback critique questions what dang we very much agree with your sensitivities and share and again man the, the point is that the answer is even remotely i mean who who am i and who is tim well i know who i am but... well yes then who am i um <laughs> uh so you know that's false i have no idea who i am <laughs> So we're just a couple of clowns trying to figure this out. But uh, I love, I love hearing so many questions being filtered through the Sermon on the Mount. Like, yes. do you hear all yes. of, like that for the last several weeks? It's been like, how does this line up with this? I and mean, it's like, yes, 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 I know,
2: yeah. yes, I've got goosebumps yes. as you're, as you're saying it, they're doing the same thing with the current series. Like I'm filtering everything through this new creation idea oh, and does this fit?
1: Does this not fit? That's how does it. This change changed. That's the way it. You see this. Yes. 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 So, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about LGBTQ, uh, it's pride month. And so there, there's lots being written, um, both uh, of lament and celebration. And I've just been, I've been thinking a lot through old creation dynamics and new creation dynamics. And and again, we've said this every week for the last several, every episode. But it's like the temptation to use old creation dynamics to bring about new creation ends. So so to exclude, to condemn, to judge, to marginalize. Uh, sexual minorities, and to do that in the name of Jesus, um, it just brings about wrath. It just brings about wrath. No possibility of redemption. No possibility of growth. No possibility of reconciliation. No possibility of mutual learning. Um, it's just wrath, and uh, and so we're just sitting in this pipeline of wrath towards the church that is in in almost every case I'm aware well-deserved you know and so the fact that we're beginning i'm beginning we're beginning to think in these terms that's the goal right now what if we could sit here for 10 years right and just keep don't we're not going to move on there's no better more inspirational thing out there like this is it this is the this is the way and um, Well, and I think there
2: is too, because I, I am constantly, this was in the conversation that I Marco Poloed about the other night, like thinking about, and you've referenced this, like Paul referring to Jesus as the first fruit of new creation. And I'm mm. constantly thinking, well, what does it mean to become, to embody the second fruit? Like what do you, yeah. how, what does that mean? What does Paul talk? And in the context of who Paul is talking to and what he's talking about, then what does that also mean? So it's like, I've the new creation dynamic stuff has been very illuminating to me personally but it's reframing like I've said multiple times now it's reframing the old testament for me it's making it make sense yeah uh the cohesion of the story makes more sense to me but I'm also looking at Paul and I'm looking at you know, John, revelation and everything and looking at it through this lens of Jesus being the first fruit of this thing. And it changes a lot of that stuff from what I grew up yeah. with. Yeah. Yep. So it's like, I'm constantly, there's a tumble cycle to this whole thing that yes. I think is really interesting. So let's, and it's cohesive.
1: So let's add to it today. Now, yeah. one of the things you may have noticed the last couple of episodes is that, um, I'm trying to be less luxury for an hour as episodes and more like hey let's have conversation around a bunch of different topics and then let's do like a 20 minute piece of content and hey
2: let's talk about spiritual beings mating with women and yeah, having giant yeah,
1: babies yeah we only need 20 minutes for that but but <laughs> I, I a number of uh, of good friends have just said you know the 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 stuff is good but it's so so much of it And it's coming in a form that isn't helpful for people to remember anything. Um, Yeah. And so I'm going to try to slow that, slow my roll uh, on some of this stuff. So let us know kind of what you think. But I thought that was great, great feedback. So we're going to peel back just another layer on the Elohim. Uh, Again, please listen to the several several uh, episodes prior to this to kind of get the groundwork we we ended <laughs> we ended last week just with this weird story of the sons of god mating with the 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 daughters of men and some sort of boundary violation where there's a uh, in, in the same way eve saw that the fruit was good and she took these divine beings saw that the women were good and they took uh, and then even David, this and you made
2: that parallel. Yeah, I was gonna say sorry. I didn't. I was gonna say you made that parallel, with David, and I thought that was really interesting. Yes,
1: um, uh, the David then, as the seed of Genesis three fifteen, then sees Bathsheba uh, that she was good, and he took. And so there's this thing that yeah. happens over and over and over and over. And so Jesus comes um, into uh, a world. That is populated with image bearers who have fallen, and Elohim, spiritual beings who have fallen, mm. and so there's some sort of revolt on the earth, and there's some sort of revolt in the heavens, yeah. and um, and so we were we were introduced to the sons of God, the sons of Elohim, right? And remember, Elohim is a category title; it's not a name. It's it's like the sons of uh, the sons of Mike would be a category uh, for um, Nate and Seth. Um, it's the sons of Anarchy. Yeah, perfect. More fitting for <laughs> for Barry Gibb and his posse. Um, and so, <laughs> so the we meet the sons of God. Um, and, and 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 just by way of review, God created rulers co-rulers and he delegated authority to them which is insane insane and so he did it both in this kind of spiritual realm and in this earthly land humane realm and um and so you know the old testament shares that worldview, um and and it was also true of many ancient near eastern cultures uh, that the heavens were populated with the divine beings and, um, and, and, and that there was a main God who had sort of conquered the other gods through violence. And so there was a head God and then there were subordinate gods. One of the things that made Israel's worldview much different is the insistence that God didn't defeat the other Elohim and gained ascendancy over them, but rather he created them. Like there's only yeah. one creator God. And then yeah. there are this there are these class there's this class of divine beings, but they're not what Yahweh is, right? Yeah. Yahweh is the great God, the most. So so often they'll distinguish Yahweh like God, the Lord of Hosts. That's a reference to the Elohim, um, or uh, the Most High God, or the Lord yeah. God Almighty. Like those are those are titles that distinguish Yahweh from all of the other members of the class of spiritual beings. So it's not like Yahweh's one of many. It's not at all. Right. Um, and, and so God cr- creates these beings, the, the sons of God, the sons of Elohim. And they, they're referred to in these really weird places. Now, again, uh, the Bible project has stuff on this. Um, N.T. Wright has stuff on this. I know I've said this loads of times, but I just want to keep reminding everybody. Uh, Greg Boyd has stuff on this. Um, uh, I'm, I know I'm missing, uh, some people. Gombus. Uh, but the, here, here's a text in Deuteronomy 32 where these sons of Elohim are mentioned. And, and evidently, all right, evidently, the sons of Elohim, at least in Jewish tradition, were understood to be given authority over nations. So, so that Yahweh, the one true God, uh, he oversaw the development of Israel and the other gods oversaw the development of other nations. Um, and, and so, I mean, this is the text from Deuteronomy 32, buried right here, verse eight, when the most high, now again, whenever we're talking about the divine council, these other sons of Elohim, they'll distinguish Yahweh by, by a term like this, the most high. When the most high gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided up all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Elohim. Now it's fascinating. <laughs> it's translated by English Bible, sons of Israel. But in the oldest text, and the most reliable text, it's Sons of Elohim. It just sounds so weird. So the idea... Well, that's a dramatically different yes. connotation. Yes. And, and so there, in the table of nations in Genesis 10, there were 70 nations. So it was thought there were 70 Elohim, at least the, this kind <laughs> of Elohim. All right. For the Lord's portion is his people Israel. Jacob it is his allotted inheritance. So the one true God is set apart over the other beings. It's, that's absolutely true. But what's fascinating is that he's deputized these other spiritual beings to oversee the, the other nations while he himself has claimed Israel. And so they will worship him directly. Um, the other Elohim evidently were to promote justice and flourishing and the worship of Yahweh through the other nations, although their cultural expressions would look vastly different from each other. All right. This again, so freaking (laughs) mind blowing. Um, and we see this kind of idea in Daniel in this really weird passage where, um, Daniel 9, David prays and has a vision, and then Gabriel shows up to kind of uh, with an answer to the prayer that David or that Daniel had prayed. And so the angel says to Daniel, Do not be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding on this vision he had and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the King of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So we have a spiritual being that is governing. It's called a Prince. He's called a Prince and it's interesting. Jesus three times in the book of John, Jesus calls the Satan. He calls him the Prince or the archon of this world. All right, so there's there's something happening. Uh, but there's this prince of the Persian kingdom that's resisting this angel and and evidently is tied to some sort of geographical boundaries because then we had to call up Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief spiritual beings. And then later in that same chapter, Do you know, the angel says, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And that's how Daniel 10 ends. And you're like, "Mm." (laughs) So there is in the Bible a, a, a working sort of metaphor for what this is because we get so many throne room scenes in the old testament there there came about uh, a way to reference this yahweh's relationship to these spiritual beings and that way is usually referred to as the divine council and this was i first heard this from michael heisner and um and the divine council the picture is of a high king surrounded by his courtesans and there're different levels, right? Some are chief princes, some are distant relatives, some are just a court attendants. And and there're developed an idea that there are different levels of authority among these other Elohim. And even, you know, Daniel sort of hints at that. But we get a couple of instances where Yahweh seems to address The sons of God, the sons of Elohim, the divine council. We get this in the book of Job, um, when the Satan, Ha-Satan, makes his first impression as a member of the divine council. But we get this really weird image, as if that wasn't weird enough, in Psalm 82. And so, (laughs) God presides In the great assembly he renders judgments among the gods now among the elohim okay so he presides over this assembly of elohim and he, he judges them he says to the elohim how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked so evidently they're not promoting justice and flourishing. He says, How long will you defend, oh excuse me, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Instead, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods, quote unquote, again, the Elohim know nothing, they understand nothing, they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said to them, you are gods, you are Elohim. You are all sons of Elohim, the Most High. But you will now die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for your nations are your inheritance. So God. So it, it goes between God addressing this divine council and a narrator. And evidently the picture is that God commissioned them to rule over their nations and orient their cultures according to God's justice and shalom. And, um, and they were supposed to see the way that Yahweh gave laws to his, uh, people, they were supposed to, to lead cultural development so that the poor and the fatherless, the orphan and the widow would be taken care of. And evidently they had failed. They, they were corrupt and now they ruled over corrupted nations. And, and here's, what's interesting. Tim, there's significant thought that so much of the warfare in the old testament is stand in for yahweh against the other elohim oh interesting so when 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 the philistines when when the philistine god you know bows down like it's never israel against the philistines and there's some who suggest and i don't know enough about this to know even if this is credible but there are a couple of people who I respect who advocate this: that the the, um, the Canaanite genocide uh, we talked about, you know, was part of the war against the Nephilim, yeah. but was also framed as a war between Elohim, and that God was subjugating unjust nations as punishment to the ruling Elohim. And so, like like when God delivers the, uh, Israel from Egypt, He says, "I've made war against the gods of Egypt." And so, right there, so you're like, "Huh? Well, that's that's interesting." And so, so, um, and, and that that contributes to the problem that the Old Testament ends on, namely, well, when God's chosen people, when Yahweh's people, like the rest of the nations, have gone astray. But you, O oh Lord, you have Israel. And yet Israel has been seduced. That's why. That's why when Israel takes up the, the, the cultural practices of other nations, it's called idolatry. Uh, Do you understand that? When Israel yeah. practices injustice, it's idolatry. Why? Because it is adopting the practices of the other Elohim. Yeah. It's- <laughs> right, and that is why worship in the Old Testament could never be separated from justice. That's interesting. Cuz justice was an issue of allegiance to Yahweh. Yeah. So, you have you you have this <laughs> image that these divine figures Creations of God are no longer ordering their appointed realms with God's justice. Now, if you're having a hard time, imagining what that's like. Well, just look at your life, right? I, yeah. I have a small, tiny realm that I have power totally. <laughs> to order along the lines of God's justice, and I don't. Right. Right? I see something that's good, and I take, right? I, I, I see the table spread in front of a neighbor or an enemy, and I envy that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right i mean just you go on and on and on the same pollution infects me and so instead of pursuing cultural agendas and expressions and formation that align with flourishing and justice what do we have we have ongoing and forever war and exploitation always yeah yeah right
2: it's very complicated and also simplifies a lot of things because you see a lot of that vocation language that was set up for God's people still continuing
1: through, right? It's the same language that Jesus advocates for. Totally. Right. So now we have nations oriented as a matter of normal towards violence, supremacy, animosity, fear, desire to dominate, exploitation of the weak and vulnerable. Now that doesn't mean humans are, you know, have are not responsible, of course humans are responsible, absolutely. but like you said, and I, Tim, I love the way you said that it is it's vastly more complicated and in some ways more simple. and whether or not you buy this, okay, the argument that we're making is this is the worldview of the New Testament, right? So yes. when Paul is going to frame the work of Jesus. And he's going to talk about powers, rulers, and authorities. This is what he's talking about. He's not talking about demons that possess you. He's talking about the fact that like, this is systemic and structural. Like one of the points that Gambus makes very clearly is that these powers, these princes, these, these fallen Elohim don't operate at the micro level. They're not like, oh you know, here's something you shoplifted, you know, and they, they tempt right. you, yeah. no, 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 they're, they're operating the level of, of thought pattern and cultural inheritance and expression and what is considered normal. So, yeah. so you take like, uh, and let's play with this. Let's take, let's take, if they, let's say this is all true and, and, and apply it back to the American story we were just telling. Right, right. Totally. So so we have we have uh, an entire story based upon the myth of redemptive violence that we are we are the world's policemen. We are good um, and developed. We are the developed world. The goal is to to ever grow and expand the economy uh, without ever with, without any hindrance whatsoever. Uh, without regard for the gap between rich and poor um uh right i mean they're just these these cultural artifacts that we've all inherited that we go yeah that's just the way the world works yeah and so it's that the way the world works bit that has to be begin to be questioned right the the racial well that's what's so
2: complicated about it is that you you have it seems very black and white right um to kill someone is wrong, to help someone in need is right. And you know, and you Mm -hmm. can break that into as many different categories as you want. But we, so to say like, I'm a pacifist, I don't believe in war and I don't want to support a war system in a world that is built on that. Right. You can't, you almost can't take a black and white stance. You have to, it's just, there's so much discernment and wisdom and nuance involved in everything. So if you're going to be a people who are peacemakers you have to do exactly like you were just saying, you, it's all day, every day, worship is tied to justice, and you are looking to infect that system from the inside out. Because you can't oppose the you can't oppose it at the top level. No. You have to oppose it altogether throughout forever. And it shows the agency of God. You can see God's like how how intentionally he's fighting to get his people onto the right That's track right. and onto that right
1: vocation. And that's when, so when Gambus will say, as he did in episodes long ago, God is not in control. This is the picture he's referring to. Exactly. That he's. But our black and white narrative of that doesn't allow for what. Correct. So, so spiritual warfare. Now, now the one thing I don't know what to do with are the unclean spirits that Jesus encounters. And I've had some weird and wacky spiritual warfare type things I've seen with people. And I'm like, I don't have a box yet for that. So I don't know where that fits. So let me just say, I don't know at all. Yeah. But I do think that Paul would say their levels, I I think, and it could be 13 or 14. He uses 13 or 14 different titles for the powers. And some think that what he's saying there is it's some sort of a hierarchy. Um the the problem is that we're not ever encouraged to explore the hierarchy, talk to the hierarchy, investigate the hierarchy, invoke the hierarchy to rebuke it, right? Instead, we're invited to resist, we're resu- we're we're invited to take thoughts captive, which is a fascinating, right? I mean, like why are the weapons we use When Paul says like they're designed to demolish arguments and every false idea that sets itself up against the worship of God. Well, that's interesting. Like if that's spiritual warfare, then obviously we're talking about structural assumptions and um, uh, cultural taken for granted that operate in the realm of ideas. Right? And so... So what is natural is just to dominate others. And then the the, the yes. word of the gospel comes in and the new creation dynamic is to serve, to take, to take yep. off the rights and privileges and power that you have and to serve it to elevate others.
2: See, this is what makes this church co- conversation so complicated because it is that it's the, uh, you can't, it's the argument. Like you, you, you're not. I. I you don't. You're not going to win the argument. I don't know that you can win the argument because it's, because it's not how.
1: That's not how the game is supposed to be played. Right. But see, what I want to do, and I have. I have to live with this. You take somebody like Driscoll, who. I personally find unpleasant and distasteful. I. I am opposed to almost everything, that he stands for. Um, yeah. I don't like him as a person. I just think. I have massive issues. My old creation dynamic is to just say that, to let that sit there. I just say, he's, he's a bum run away, fear him. If he, if he's involved run away from it automatically. Uh, But then I'm confronted with new creation dynamics that say now, now there are new creation dynamics that, that do say absolutely. Like there is a time to walk away. Mm -hmm. No question. But have I gone through every bit of relational peacemaking before I just want to write somebody off like that? And, and again, I right. don't, you know, because we're talking about public figures, who knows where that, those yeah. lines are. But those are the kind of new creation questions that I'm forced to ask now. Yeah. Right? I can't just demonize somebody and just call it a day. Right. Right.
2: I, right. Cause what do you do? You're shouting into the wind. I it's, yeah, I think this is fascinating. I was talking to a friend of mine about how, like with the sermon on the Mount series, I think I de-spiritualized a lot of things. Like I swung into, this is how we are to operate. This is how we are to exist. This is how we are to navigate. This is how we are to coexist. And, uh, I started, you know, really leaning into all this partnering language mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. And I, and so it, it was ruining prayer for me because I was losing so much ground on how, like, what's the point of prayer? Mm. And was having trouble with how prayer was being used in the church. And I think I shared one of those examples yeah. of somebody who, uh, yeah, a healing thing that they claimed was because God answered their prayers while a couple other people in the church died during the same time period, which... S- says indirectly god heard my prayers and said yes in the healing right. god either didn't hear your prayers or said no right and there's something that's is set and people starts with that anyway so i'm losing uh i'm trying i think what's interesting with deconstruction is you swing really hard and that may be fast or it may be slow but when you swing out a lot of things start to fall and it, and oftentimes I think that we won't take the time to swing back in slowly to really like Mm. test and learn and Mm. i'm and so this series now is making me wrestle with the supernatural spiritual elements of everything and but i'm trying to drag all of the sermon on the mount back in through it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and and not let this be like two conflicting crazy thoughts of like the dude who stands on 1 foot and it's just all commentary just love your neighbor and you you're, you're going to do fine but then that there is this spiritual world and there is this crazy stuff that we have to have some amount of discernment to understand mm-hmm. and those things are not from a different story right like those are right. elements of the same right. thing right and so they have places with each other yes and that's interesting and that's going to take time to probably my entire life to continue to like look at and try to understand the different pieces of it. Because the fact that there's a divine council and I, I mean, I, I don't disbelieve any of this and the fact that Jesus came and walked with 12, you know, dirty dudes like that. Those two things are in the same pot. Yeah. Is a lot to sit with. Yeah. And they have, they have implications for each other that echo out and absolutely continue to implicate other things. It's, yeah.
1: it's so much. And it's so interesting. Yes. Yes. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, you, well, you said it, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of another way to say it, but you said it, it complicates things and it simplifies them all at the same time. And yeah. Um, what, what it does, what it's done for me is totally revolutionize what it is to engage in spiritual warfare, that language. Yes. Right. We should talk about that more. Yes. Because that is, yes, that is the wrong language. Again, it's, it's taking a culture war viewpoint, but now just applying it to angels and demons.
2: Right. Totally. That's a, I think that is, and that would be a good thing to um, spend some time on. Um, So, I mean, obviously so much of our faith, as we've talked about American evangelicalism and that kind of stuff, has been like filtered through the language that we understand Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And so we lose a lot and we get a lot twisted into really dirty versions of what this is. That's right. But I think you're right, the spiritual warfare, like just that language itself, doesn't give you the framework to begin to understand Mm-mm. what maybe is happening.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's the... I have an angel on my shoulder and a demon on the other one, and I'm being tempted into bad moral choices. And yeah, you're like... Bugs Bunny
2: screwed us all up. Yep.
1: And that is like the literally thinnest, weakest possible conception of what is happening. Totally yeah. individualized, right? Totally moralized. And... Okay, so Jesus saves me, then, so that I make better decisions. You're like, okay, well, I guess, um,
2: uh, yeah. but it's just not. Now, my I'm just spinning through everything. I'm spinning through the, the idea of the you know inviting Jesus into your heart, but what? But what that phrasing actually means in a in a larger yeah. sense, and then in and then what that is implicating inside of this conversation. Yeah, I will
1: never use that phrase ever
2: again, ever. It's wild, though. It would it, be an interesting, I'm sure one of our listeners, if not more, have done the deep dive search on how that became so firmly established into our lexicon, but it's, I'd be interested in really
1: understanding how that became like the primary thing. Well, I think Romans 10, it, like the Romans Road became a thing and then Romans 10 if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is lord you will be saved. And so oh well he says it right there. Believe in yeah. your heart. The problem is the word belief and the word heart those are vastly different <laughs> than how we conceive of them. <laughs> oh man. Yep. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> we got to go baby. My word. All right. Um, Just a anyway, reminder
2: that this is episode 299 and we want to hear your voices. So get them into me like tomorrow.
1: ASAP. Right now. Pause this sucker. Right now.
2: 530 492 0382. Send me a voice message. Tim at voxpodcast.com.
1: Yes, please. Um, may the Lord bless you all because I'm now a southerner. May the, all, may the Lord bless you all. <laughs> keep y'all keep y'all raise his face to y'all be gracious to y'all and in these days give us peace y'all and i've just learned what grits are oh yep they're on everything (laughs) that's what they are all right till next time friends thanks see you on the other side
2: Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com/voxpodcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com/voxpodcast, on Instagram, at Fox Podcast and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.